go into the matrix. The matrix. <laughs> this episode of Pop Ma- DNA, we're just gonna sing it all. It's just Maybe gonna be something an opera. Like the matrix. <laughs> do you do you do you know what I'm re- what I'm referencing? Is that... No, but I really okay. liked it. That was, <laughs> that was okay. So Jimmy Fallon, I think, like even before he was on SNL, or maybe it was like early days at SNL, he released this stand-up comedy album that also had sure. like songs on it, and one of them was "Idiot Boyfriend." <laughs> Have you heard this song? No. Okay, so it's he's like uh. He's like, I'm going to screw it up because I'm an idiot and I'm your boyfriend. And then <laughs> and then there was like part of the song where he was like, hey, maybe I could come over to your house and we can. I, I brought some DVDs. We could watch something like The Matrix. <laughs> That's like, fantastic. What I always think about. Yeah. Anytime someone says The Matrix, I'm like something like The Matrix. The Matrix. <laughs> The DVDs. <laughs> that reminds me of those first days in like college freshman year where like, let's go watch a movie at my dorm room. And like, it was usually something like, whoa, the Matrix is so good. Let's go watch it. <laughs> oh, early days of like watching Netflix. Oh, yeah. Before Netflix and chill was like, I um, <laughs> Like a thing people said when people were just doing that. It wasn't like a term yet. Uh-huh. And it was always like the Matrix or the Princess Bride or like. Oh, the Princess Bride is a masterpiece. It's true. That is my. Yeah. The Princess Bride is my favorite movie. Like. It's a really I, good movie. Guess what just came in on the Netflix? <laughs> Bridesmaid. That's. Yeah. Okay. Aww, perfect. All right. We're good. Anyway. <laughs> yes. That's enough. Um, that's enough banter. Um, that's... <laughs> okay. Uh, what are What are we talking about? What are we, Okay. Yeah. Well, what did we talk about last week? Uh, so last week, I feels can't like even it remember. Was, what it? Oh. oh my gosh. Oh yes, anime and religion. Yeah. Yes. Two peas in a pod. Um, For a second, <laughs> I was like, I don't remember last week at I all. I literally did not remember. <laughs> Yes, anime and religion. Anime and um, religion. We talked aesthetics. Yeah, yes. <laughs> aesthetics and symbology, we could also say, mm-hmm. I think. And um, Nag Hammadi yeah. is where they found the Gnostic Gospels. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. We, we did also talk about Gilmore Girls quite a bit. Um, we sure did. Yeah. <laughs> Lorelai's coats. Lorelai's coats and... <laughs> Nagamati, where they found Absolutely. the Gnostic Gospels. I really appreciated that when I saw that. The title? I was like, <laughs> yeah, I was like, yes. I was like, nobody's going to get this, but I know Aaron will. Okay, so. I got it, and we... I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so that was last week. Um, this week, we're wrapping it up. Always a little sad. Also, tell me how March is over. I'm so confused. I, March Madness, I say. Where did this month go? I don't know. I, no idea. So for today, I had some classic sci-fi that influenced the Matrix. Oh, and did classic some... sci-fi influence the Matrix? No, they really hated it. Okay. They just hated sci-fi so much. <laughs> 
that they felt the need to make this these films. And then I also have some contemporary stuff that's pretty clearly... Mm. I mean, The Matrix was so huge. I think it's hard to kind of divorce it from yeah. contemporary sci-fi. Yeah, I think so too. And I'm sure you'll get into this, but I feel like The Matrix, especially that first Matrix movie kind of represents like a big almost paradigm shift in how we see science fiction on screen right sure. yeah so i'm i'm excited to dive into this and hear what what you have found out as i said it's no it's no surprise that classic sci-fi would have influenced the matrix so let's take a look at kind of what are are seen in interviews and kind of on the interwebs and on the wiki as the definitive things that might have influenced the Matrix. And as you listen to this list, dear, dear listener, <laughs> most of these are not exactly surprising or shocking. Hmm. Nothing on this list is going to be like, are you sure? Like, it's all pretty obvious I think but they are the ones that are widely accepted as having influenced it and I did sure. think it was important to our conversation so I feel kind of silly saying these things I have to admit but the first one on my list is Blade Runner of course because yeah next to a literal parenthesis <laughs> that says I mean the course. the aesthetics alone like you can even if you just yeah. looked at like screen stills from those two movies like you can see the influence absolutely absolutely like from the way yeah the universe works to kind of those mechanics to even their clothing I think that kind of dystopian grunge look was still Mm -hmm. really like really popular and happening it was having its moment Um, absolutely and like (laughs) I think Blade Runner is kind of fun with where they take it, like, makeup-wise and hair-wise. I think Blade Runner's doing different and interesting things than maybe we see Trinity wearing, you know? So it's kind of... I don't know. I think they're kind of... We get to see... I Okay. I think we get (laughs) to see more... Just more types of people in Blade Runner. More, like, stylized. Yeah. Yeah. Like factions of people I guess I would say than like the 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 kind of matrix uniforms that well, we get so and we... I mean that difference I think could be accounted for by like you know like going back to like in middle school when you learn about like the different types of science fiction societies how you have a utopia and a dystopia and a <laughs> yeah. you know um like in you know Blade Runner is very much dystopian whereas like when we're seeing the real world in the matrix that is post-apocalyptic and so those mean two very different things materially for the people who are living in those societies so absolutely that's a really good i wasn't even thinking of it in those terms i think that's a really important distinction for the the types of stories that are being told there yeah that's Mm -hmm. a really important distinction yeah, also, if you haven't, go see Blade Runner. It was really good. Yeah, um, or watch it. Like, it's, yeah, that's available. Yeah. <laughs> it, sh- it should be. Blade Runner, fun fact, 
was um, what Harrison Ford like said to be like his. I think it, I think the question was like I'm gonna have to Google this to like make sure that I get it you know factually correct. But it was something like somebody asked him whether he enjoyed Star Wars, Indiana Jones, or Blade Runner the most, and he said Blade Runner. I'm like hmm. interesting. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. He hated Star Wars, by the way. Absolutely Aww. hated it. Yeah. Aww, I think he doesn't. I think he doesn't get it. He doesn't get Star Wars. I think that's what it is. Okay. Sure. Know. Interesting. Anyway. I guess when you're in it, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, um, I can <laughs> I can see how if you're in it, it would be harder. If any, like anything that I really, really like, Mm -hmm. I wonder if I would also find it obnoxious working on it for Mm -hmm. a long period of time, you know? And if that's the thing that you're the most known for, because like, yeah, I bet it's a toss up whether Harrison Ford is most known for Han Solo or Indiana Jones. I bet it's pretty close. Yeah. But... I bet there was a time when he was only known as Han Solo when that was like, yeah. Yeah. Which doesn't sound like such a bad thing to me, but. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Your entire identity. I don't know. And, and you know, like you can love your job, but at a certain point it's your job, you know, and it kind of just repeats over and over. An important other distinction for Blade Runner is that Blade Runner takes a look at kind of a a film noir-esque yeah. look at the Matrix. So it's like if you were in the Matrix and then you were solving like a mystery in that kind of real world. So that's another. It's Sign kind me of up. like I know. Absolutely. <laughs> Where's that job on Indeed.com? But uh <laughs> Craigslist. Um, yeah, it, it would absolutely be it on Craigslist. Yeah, Craigslist. That's where that's where <laughs> you would find that job is Craigslist. Yeah, I just I felt like that was a really important kind of difference too that they could kind of like they both do very similar things but in different like corners of storytelling. Mm-hmm. I think. So that's kind of the most important one, I think. There's also kind of a cornerstone of science fiction itself is Fritz Lang's Mm. Metropolis. Sure. From all the way in 1927. Yeah. I have only seen the movie poster of this one. Oh, I I watched the movie. I watched the movie when I was in college and thought that I was, you know, was going to be like a film student. Um, And so I watched this, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> visually, I can see why it's considered as like a cornerstone of science fiction film because like so much of the imagery that is clearly influencing what, you know, what we see. Like the I think like the re- the poster that you mentioned, like the really famous um, yeah. image of like that robot that is yeah obviously inspiring C-3PO in Star Wars. Of course. And there's like yeah. so many other images like that. So yeah for sure. Yeah I did um, I did like a search about um, kind of the aesthetics of it and I absolutely agree. It's kind of 
it's fun. If you haven't seen them, go ahead and like either find the movie or take a look at some of the stills. They're really interesting, especially to consider that this was 1927. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Just fascinating to see kind of the first sci-fi film experiences that Mm -hmm. we have um, and that we still have record of. And so the major takeaway here of a similarity is that, again, in this future dystopian society, drones and machines are, um, are taken captive and they are made to work endlessly for these kind of higher power um, machines that have captured have well captured captured (laughs) these kind of higher power machines that have captured them and um what i what i read i'll post the article that i got this from but they mentioned specifically the um kind of the agents from the matrix kind Mm -hmm. of your carbon copy yes mr anderson that guy and kind of how he tries to how they try to how how they're used kind of to do the bidding of this great evil evil yeah wow my words mm-hmm. just really fell apart there. words putting into <laughs> words, sentence doing <laughs> words putting into sentence doing but yeah just kind of this idea of a society where drones and machines are no longer free, but also this conversation about how free is a drone and how free is Mm. a machine and where is that kind of difference there, which I think is really interesting. And that's, yeah, I mean, that's something that is still being explored in science fiction and was kind of like the, the foundational idea of like, the very first work of science fiction, Frankenstein. Yeah. Like this relationship between the the creature in Frankenstein is, you know, in essence, an artificial intelligence. And so it's this relationship between the creator and this AI and how, you know, what level of humanity does that artificial intelligence you know have the right to claim you know like and I think that that's something that is still being explored in science fiction through things like Blade Runner and yeah uh, and even a little bit like in the Matrix and in like Terminator where humanity is fighting AI but there's still that question of like what is what is human what defines what defines um you know what makes us human Absolutely. I think that's also a major theme that's being explored in a lot of video game narrative Mm -hmm. as well is there are several games. I'll post them on our Instagram, but there are several video games that are being played where at first you are told by an AI exactly what you're supposed to do. And then it turns out that actually through making those actions, you've actually made a bunch of mistakes and have Mm. actually killed and committed atrocities but you just followed orders Mm -hmm. and then you kind of have to piece together for yourself what you actually just did to the world around you and how you have to write it and it's it's really interesting and it's a it's like a common thread among a few different video games yeah it's really Mm -hmm. interesting to think about artificial intelligence and how we how we kind of get that like 
this is a machine that was told to do for us all the time and will make your life better. But what mm-hmm. happens when they gain sentience? What happens when we were told something, but maybe either the manufacturers didn't know it themselves about mm-hmm. the product or the product became smarter through a series of acquisitions of knowledge acquisitions of knowledge is gonna be my new (laughs) my book on teaching acquisitions of knowledge (laughs) but anyway (laughs) yeah exactly then I also have a few notes here about like bits and pieces that feel from um, classic sci-fi that feel very um, similar to ideas that are in the matrix Mm -hmm. so in strange days Um, written by James Cameron and directed by Catherine Bigelow, we have this idea of downloading other people's memories Mm. and then selling them. Yeah. Which is kind of terrifying. Yeah. Uh, I don't really love that idea. Mm. It stars Voldemort, obviously, because he would do that movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Voldemort. Yeah. (laughs) Good for you, Voldemort. Team Voldemort! (laughs) And then the other, the other, of course, in my notes mm-hmm. was Star Wars. Um, well, of course, because Star Wars has influenced literally every movie literally that was everything. made after it. So, yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah. <laughs> and specifically kind of the following of the hero's journey, mm, which sure. I don't need to tell you that that is evident. So, yes, Star Wars, it was a, like... You have to say it, I feel, but also, of course. Kind of like how I had to talk about Allegory of the Cave because, you know, we would have had, like, angry comments if we didn't even mention it. Yeah. They didn't even talk about Plato. (laughs) Yeah. And then I have two kind of contemporary pieces that I see as having been influenced by The Matrix. So the first one, I'm only caught up on season one of this show, but I really liked it. Mm. Altered Carbon. Have you seen that? I have watched uh, maybe like three episodes. Okay. Very interesting. It's really cool. And it's also (laughs) real creepy if you think about (laughs) it too much. So uh, just to give you a brief summary, if you haven't seen it, um, the whole idea around Altered Carbon is the digitizing of human consciousness. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't like it at all. <laughs> um, and then, so human human beings are being um, digitized and then stored in the cortical stacks within our spines. Mm. So this makes it possible f- to survive just about anything because you're kind of your consciousness or maybe your soul has been preserved within a spine Mm -hmm. and then you can jump from body to body Um, it's a hard process but it it can happen and so yeah just that kind of the idea of the physical use of a I guess in the opposite way that in the matrix you plug your body into something Mm-hmm. In Altered Carbon, your soul gets plugged into a different body to continue. Mm. So yeah, I th- I think it's a continuation of that conversation of plugging in and 
almost as a means of survival, which I think is an element at play yeah. in the Matrix. Well, and that's um, also like another show that has a really similar concept. It's called Upload. And okay. it's a sitcom <laughs> by <laughs> uh, created by Greg Daniels, actually. That really? is like... I would say that it's like the Matrix meets the good place because it's like a digital afterlife. So like how, like what they do is that like so it's like near future. So what they do is they like digitize someone's consciousness. Um and so then when that person you know passes away, then they upload their consciousness into this digital afterlife. So it's this way of, you know, the person living on and it's very interesting. They, so there's like kind of a class system with these digital afterlifes, depending on like how much the deceased person's family can afford. Wow. Yeah. It's really, really interesting. Uh, And season two just came out like a couple weeks ago and I like watched the whole thing in one day. Cool. Yeah. Really good. But I think like I would definitely pitch it as the good place meets the matrix because like it's both of those things. I don't understand how I missed this. I'm going to go watch it. That sounds really good. It's on Amazon prime. So. And it's called upload. Upload. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, I love that Greg Daniels. Yeah, we like that guy. (laughs) We like that guy. Um, Cool. Yeah, I, I don't know how I missed that one, but I will. I'm gonna go back and watch. I need a new, a new show. Mm. Also, I think another similarity is just that creepy idea of moving out of a physical form. Mm. Like, yeah. That's interesting. The next one I have is kind of like you got to squint a little bit. <laughs> well, but this, I... is, this is really interesting, though, because I, well, you go ahead and talk about this and then I'll, I'll, I'll build from that. <laughs> cool. So the next one that I have, again, bear with me, is Annihilation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Annihilation is kind of, it, it plays with this idea of, scientific discovery so a biologist loses her husband um he disappears Mm -hmm. and then she goes she volunteers as tribute (laughs) to go on this expedition into like a disaster area to figure out what happened and you know not so hilarity ensues Uh and i (laughs) And I really don't know. Don't um, think of Annihilation as a comedy. That's no, no, do no. (laughs) And like, so you might be thinking, well, that doesn't really sound like the Matrix. But I think this idea of like, it feels to me like the Matrix meets Jurassic Park. Yeah. A little bit. Yes. And I, I wrote the, I don't even, this is kind of, it feels like a half, half formed thought in my head, but it just feels like they're doing the same thing in terms of like, kind of the exploration and inquiry that we have in the Mm. matrix. Yeah. If that makes sense. Like the matrix sometimes feels like taking a matrix 101 course, you Mm. know, the way that it's described and the way that 
the world is given to us feels very much like a training simulator at some point. Yeah. And I think that's how Annihilation feels to me. And like this idea of investigating like a whole new type of not a whole not, new world. Ariel said it best. Um, that's a whole yeah. No, that's from Aladdin. Aaron, are you okay? <laughs> oh my gosh, I was thinking of part, part of, of your, your world. world. Yeah, yeah, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. They're gonna take away my Mickey ears. I got you, baby. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I just think the overall idea of exploring something in the scientific world that no one has seen before and it's enough to be create it's enough of a maybe threat to being, how things being a woman in stem being a woman in stem yes <laughs> trinity could be trinity in... is a woman in stem yes <laughs> she could totally be in annihilation i don't yes. know friends oh that would be great to... Watch them both side by side and, and tell me I'm wrong <laughs> or right. I don't yeah. know. They just felt similar to me. Yeah. But it's okay. So the reason why I think it's interesting that you bring up Annihilation is because, so the, um, it's based on a novel. Um, yeah. But the writer and director of, well, the writer of the screenplay and director of Annihilation, the film, is Alex Garland, who I would say is, like, making some of the most interesting screen science fiction today. Like... Sure. um, Ex Machina is another movie that really explores that, like, connection between AI and humanity Sure. And how, you know, watch Ex Machina, by the way, if you haven't seen yeah. it. It's incredible. Uh, he also wrote the screenplay for a movie called Sunshine that, like, when I talk to other people about this movie, they, like, have no idea what I'm talking about. So okay. if, you've, if you've seen Sunshine, like, you're my new best friend. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll go watch it. <laughs> which is also, like... It's not so much AI, but it's another exploration of, like, humanity's, like, experimentation with technology and, like, yeah. how, you know, how far is too far um, with... Uh, sure. Yeah. And then he also... The show that I am, like, watching right now, and it came out, like, two years ago, but it's taken me this long to watch it, a show called Devs. On FX is a limited series. Have you have you watched it or you heard of it? It's on my to be watched. I've like I've been meaning to watch this show for a long time. It's so good. Um, Nick Offerman will blow your mind. Oh my goodness! Oh my gosh! It's so good. Yeah, and it definitely also has like that same kind of theme that we keep seeing in science fiction of like, um, I think Ian Malcolm in Jurassic Park summed it up the best when he said, um, we were so preoccupied with figuring out whether or not we could, that we didn't stop to think whether or not we should. I totally butchered that quote, but that's the, yeah. Um, totally. And that's like, that's what so much science fiction is exploring. Yeah. And 
it's, you know, I think with Annihilation, we're kind of seeing that. And I, you know, like all of the works that I mentioned by Alex Garland, like we're seeing that same idea explored in different ways and from different angles. And yeah, it's really interesting. I like it. Yeah, science fiction is something that I feel imposter syndrome about. Mm. I think it's fascinating, but it's almost like I'm gatekeeping myself. I'm like, I'm nervous to feel like I'm talking about this because I don't feel like I know anything. But who knows anything? We're all just living life. Just so talk about get the that. stuff you like. Like, who cares? Who cares? Like, yeah. Dang it. Watch the stuff you like. Stop the stuff you don't. You heard it yeah. here first. <laughs> yeah. You can DNF so, yeah. that book. Who cares? <laughs> yeah, you can. Yeah, you I'm can. I've DNF'd Dune like eight times. It's fine. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> but I really liked the movie. That was that was good. Um, <laughs> I have to watch that. I haven't watched it yet. Science fiction. I Double think feature. Totally. Dune and the Matrix. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or Dune and the Matrix Resurrections. Sure. Also a good yeah. option. Uh, <laughs> or Keanu and Matrix Re- Resurrections. <laughs> or Just... the Lake House and Matrix Resurrections. <laughs> I have a theory that the Lake House takes place inside the Matrix. Like, how I... else do you explain, like... The time travel and the deja vu and everything. It's in the Matrix. Go watch the How Did This Get Made for the Lake House. Oh, they did a How Did This Get Made? It is gold. Did they think it It was a bad movie? I think it's a great movie. It is so funny. Oh my (laughs) gosh, it's so good. Yeah. Uh, I really want to watch the Lake House again. Um, Are you okay? I'm not okay. No. I'm not okay. I'm not okay. Um, Well, we have to move on now. So <laughs> we have to move on. <laughs> um, but really, we're just kind of going down another avenue of this discussion of science fiction and how the Matrix sort of fits into the major themes that we see science fiction exploring all the way back from the classic sci-fi like Frankenstein and Metropolis, like we talked about up until now. Yeah. So I think that one really interesting way that science fiction in general and that the Matrix movies in particular have sort of commented on our current society and, you know, social systems um, in a way that, that often that only science fiction can do is in how it explores gender. Yeah. I think it's very commonly, I didn't realize this before I started really like researching it, but I think it's very commonly accepted, even before it was officially confirmed, that The Matrix is a trans metaphor. The first Matrix movie in particular. I think, you know, as, you know, of course, Lana Wachowski, I believe, came out as a trans woman in 2012. And then um, Lily Wachowski came out in 2016, I believe. 
Lily even like outright stated, um, I think this was back in 2019, 2020, that it was the first movie was very intentionally a trans metaphor. Um, She was quoted in a BBC News article um, saying that uh, that was the original intention, but the world wasn't quite ready. Okay. Yeah. Um, (laughs) She says, I'm glad that it has gotten out. The corporate world was not ready for an allegory about transgender people. But in this article, she talks about how, like, even before um, it was widely known, even before, you know, this was like kind of widely accepted trans people would come up to her and like thank her for making these movies um she says they come up to me and say these movies saved my life i'm grateful that i can be throwing them a rope to help them along their journey so wow i think that's really beautiful um, That's this so article, important. yeah. Um, so this article that she was quoted in, it points out that in the first movie, there's a character named Switch who uh, Wachowski says the the Matrix stuff was all about the desire for transformation, but it was all coming from a closeted point of view. So she says that this character of Switch really represents where she and her sister were kind of in their trans journey at the time. So they have this character who was a man in, you know, the real world and then a woman in the Matrix, which I think, like, at the time, like, maybe most people wouldn't have put that together. But, like, when you see it now, you're like, well, of course, like... And that's you know. so important. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So in this article, she says that she doesn't, um, she doesn't really know, like, uh, the, the actual quote is that how present my transness was in the background of my brain as we were writing, but it all came from the same sort of fire that I'm talking about. Um, she was drawn to science fiction because we were existing in a space where the words didn't exist. So we were always living in a world of imagination. So they kind of didn't have, like, the language yet to express how they were feeling about their gender. And so, like, it just sort of came out in this, in this way. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's amazing. Yeah. And it's, I think it's also super interesting that, that, you know, science fiction can be used as a method for exploring these questions of not just gender identity, but just kind of, of of identity in general and of this idea of, you know, social commentary and like how we present ourselves within the society that we're living in and how that way that we're presenting ourselves might be completely different from how we feel and we identify you know, in quote unquote, in real life. Um, Absolutely. So interesting. And, you know, like, because it's science fiction, you're able, they were able to sort of do that in, in this really creative way. I think it's really cool. So we'll fast forward a little bit to um, 2015. So we're just following the Wachowski sisters on their journey of discovering their their uh their gender identity and coming yeah. out as trans. So we'll fast forward to 2015. So at this point, 
Lana Wachowski has come out. Um, she came out in 2012, but Lily Wachowski has not yet come out as a trans woman. And they make this little movie together called Jupiter Ascending. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> the best movie ever made. Um, yes. So this is really interesting. I have long thought that Jupiter Ascending was in some way trying to, not correct exactly, but maybe trying to expand upon or in some way comment on the journey that that we go through in the three previous Matrix movies. Okay. So... <laughs> So if you like if you look at like kind of the the bones of the story, especially that first Matrix movie, if you look at like yeah. the bones of the story, like the outline of the story, they're actually very similar story beats. So they're both very much like kind of that Campbellian cycle. So like we have the the two heroes, we have Neo and we have Jupiter who, you know, start out in their ordinary world, their everyday lives, and they're kind of tired of just, like, this mundane routine of their everyday lives. And then they both witness something that makes them question whether there's more outside of their everyday lives. And then they discover that there is, of course. And then they both have... Um, so basically they're both heroes journey. Like, well, yeah, I said that. Sure. I said that already. That's fine. (laughs) So they both end up having mentors. Um, Mm -hmm. for Neo, he has Morpheus. For Jupiter, she has, uh, Boromir, Ned Stark. And, (laughs) you know, the bees can sense royalty. Um, it's really, (laughs) the bees can sense royalty and there is no spoon. So, um. Yes. (laughs) Right? And then, okay, so I, when I was doing my digging for this, I found, like, this really cool blog post that um, I will link that has, like, some more of these, like, kind of side-by-side comparisons of the frameworks of these two stories. So this uh, blog post notes that both of the stories hinge on combating regimes, So we have the machines in the Matrix, and in Jupiter Ascending, we have the the Abrasex dynasty. And both of these regimes are ritualistically harvesting human beings in order to extend their lifespans or to, you know, get energy in some way. Sure. Right. The major differences that we have between these two movies can really come down to like genre and aesthetic. So like the matrix is dystopian and Jupiter ascending is a space opera. So those are two different genres. Um, sure. And then also in the aesthetics. So in the matrix, we have this like very kind of dark gritty, um, grim yeah. aesthetic and Jupiter Ascending, it's more, you know, bright colors um, and a more hopeful tone as well. Right. So going back to this blog post, which, by the way, is called Jupiter Ascending, The Matrix Regendered. <laughs> Love that title. 
Um, Oh, great. Yeah. (laughs) This writer says, I find it telling, therefore, that while both films received a certain amount of praise and censure on release, there is a marked difference in how their respective entries or Wikipedia entries describe what is arguably a very similar critical reception, at least at the level of popular opinion. So it's not a new opinion that Jupiter Ascending is deeply reminiscent of the tropes of teen girl fan fiction. (laughs) And it's similarly been stated that most action movies are, in fact, written as million-dollar endorsements of the fantasies of teenage boys. I haven't seen it pointed out that in this case, you've already got a film written and directed by the exact same people telling the exact same story, but in a thematically inverted way. This is the part that, like, really stuck with me such that you can arguably use it as a yardstick for gauging the extent to which the comparative femininity and hopefulness of Jupiter Ascending have counted against it in the popular consciousness. That's fascinating. Yeah. So we have the Matrix as this very, like, like it's definitely the hero's journey. Like, it is a male power fantasy and, you know, has just as much you know just as great a level of kind of suspension of disbelief and of you know like ridiculousness for lack of a better word as Jupiter ascending but because it is coded as so masculine and because it is a male power fantasy it does not have the same like disdain in public opinion that Jupiter Ascending received. Wow. Yeah. Um, So then just like, okay, I am a defender of Jupiter Ascending. Always have been. (laughs) Oh, we really should have gotten Lizzie on this episode. I Um, know. (laughs) And then I had one more just like a little critical um, or critic or comment on Jupiter Ascending that I wanted to throw out there just kind of as relates to gender and um, sort of the Wachowski sisters like expressing or like going on this journey of gender through the films that they're making. So Donna Dickens writing for Uproxx stated that the film is a refreshing take, speaking of Jupiter Ascending, on women in science fiction, one that doesn't strip anything feminine from a character and replace it with Arnold Schwarzenegger with boobs. <laughs> right? I'm... Like, Jupiter is unapologetically feminine. And right. femininity is openly ridiculed in our culture. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and then she goes on to say, It's open to women who want to be the same klutzy nobody who is cosseted and petted and told we're special, despite all evidence to the contrary. Right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> so. My mind is like blown right now. Right? By the way. Okay. Just... So, like, wrapping this part of it up. So, this exists in a film made for nine figures and released by a major studio. There's a freshness to seeing something of this magnitude be so earnest about its feminine fantasy, and that niche market happily accepted it. And then this this article actually does kind of wrap up with the idea that, like, this. This says that Jupiter Ascending is is the Wachowskis fully embracing their gender identity, but I would note that at the time, Lily Wachowski had not yet come 
out. So I don't know if it was fully or, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, you know, make that hard statement about it. Um, But I think it is interesting that this was the film that they made sort of in the middle of both of their transitions, right? Right. It's a hard thing for someone else to put a button on, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah. It's like, I can't, you know, say for sure what someone else's journey was, right? Yeah. But it is a very interesting, it's interesting to look at the two films side by side, you know? Yeah. And then before we wrap up, I I have to talk about The Matrix Resurrections. We haven't talked about it very much <laughs> no. throughout this series, but I think that it warrants discussion in this Yeah. In this, you know, discussion of like gender and the Matrix films because this um so Lily didn't didn't work on Matrix Resurrections. Lana did it by herself. But it definitely reads as, like, a very different experience than the original Matrix movie. And even those, you know, those first three Matrix movies, like, it's... I was telling you this before we started recording. Like, it's it's as if Lana Wachowski decided she did not give an F about what anyone else thought she was going to make the Matrix movie she wanted. And I absolutely love that for her. <laughs> like, I really, really want to see it. Yeah, it's so, yeah. Ugh, it's great. Please watch it. So, yeah. <laughs> so I think, so this is something I think I briefly touched on before that like the Matrix, the first Matrix movie, especially is very much in the hero's journey, male power fantasy realm. You know, like, there's nothing wrong with that, like, by any means. But I think that it can be limiting sticking within that, uh, that framework and that kind of, like, chosen one narrative. Yeah. Because it's, like, it's this idea that, like, it's only this one special person Uh who can save the world, and it's just on their, you know, it's just up to that person um, to save the world. But then we, like, we do see, if you look closer, like, we do see that, like, Neo has, like, this network of people that he could not have accomplished his mission without their help. And I think that if I could state what I think the Matrix Resurrections is trying to expand on from the original movies, it's that idea that it's not just this one hero alone. It's everyone working together. So it's almost as if it's transitioning from a hero's journey to a heroine's journey. You know, yeah. Interesting. So, (laughs) and I really... Also, I would say about Matrix Resurrections is that it's also very much like Trinity's movie. Like, okay. So she does expand beyond this in like the second and third movies somewhat. But in that first movie, like Trinity is very much like the badass love interest, you know? 
Like, that's... Yeah, sure. That's her archetype. And, like, that's totally fine if that's the archetype. But I love that in the fourth movie, like, she almost becomes, like, a co-protagonist. And it's really, like, about... Um, they focus a lot on, like, her journey, her identity, her coming to terms with, like, who she is as a woman, and, like, there is love, like, there is romance, but, like, it's also about, like, her as a person. Uh, yeah, Yeah, sure. and I think it's, it's really, it's really great. Yeah. <laughs> I will, I love that. I really... I'm sold. I will go I'll go watch it. Yeah. I really like Trinity. I really yeah. like that character a whole lot. She's pretty cool. She's pr- she's, she's she's pretty, pretty cool. Pretty cool. <laughs> oh, she's pretty cool, I guess. I wonder if I I think that like for a few years after the movie first came out, like the name Trinity saw like a bit of a spike and like people naming oh, people bet. naming their kids Trinity. <laughs> If people are naming their kids COVID, I bet what? you What? No. Yeah. You're joking. Yeah. No. Why would you do that? Look it up on the interwebs. I don't like that. I mean, people I heard Corona. Kids co- Coro- COVID. Yeah. Isn't it weird that we don't say coronavirus anymore? Yeah. We always say COVID. Because, like, at least Corona is a word for something. Right. COVID is just, like... Okay. Yeah. Uh, yes, but Trinity, I, don't I like bet. that. Oh, it's it makes me so sad. Uh, but, okay. But okay. Trinity is really cool, and so I guess that means I'm really cool. Uh huh. Because when I took the quiz to find out which character I was, it said I was Trinity. So. Yeah. And I, I have the. Th- I didn't take it multiple times. I only took it one time, and that was. Re- I didn't. You know, that's nice. Okay. So Just... when you read the description, did it feel true or? I don't know. I don't even remember what the description said. Okay. Probably not. But I was like, whatever. <laughs> I'm taking a it. Good character. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take it. Love that. And I. Oh, I thought some of the questions were really funny. I was like, uh-huh. Okay. I like our quiz sections. I I got Morpheus, mm. which I don't see at all. I see, I aspire to be like Morpheus, but uh-huh. I don't think it's true. Well, you uh, know, he's he's a mentor and you're okay. a teacher. Okay. And you're going to be a therapist. Which I'm going to be a therapist. When officially. I grow up. Officially. Woo. Officially. And, um, you know, a. A therapist is kind of a mentor figure for a lot of people. Okay, I see where we're going. I see it. I see it. I'll begin every session with take the red pill or take Take the the red pill, pill. sweetie. (laughs) I wish we could talk about Matrix for forever. I like Well, I mean, we can. We just, you know, (laughs) probably shouldn't do any more podcast episodes about it. Yeah, we're probably we're probably full up. We're tapped out. Um, yeah, I am like for real tapped out right now, though. So yeah, that's a thing. absolutely <laughs> so much so that I'm forgetting what we're doing next episode. Next, I arc. don't know what we're doing either. <laughs> <laughs> Is it New Girl? Are we I've doing New sp- Girl? 
but I've said that three times now. That can't possibly uh, be my answer. Are we finally you know doing New Girl? I'm going to find it. I'm I don't remember. I'm going to look it up. Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah, you know, doing things. Doing things and doing, stuff. Where is it? <laughs> I haven't even looked at. Oh, here it is. It's like I haven't even looked at our document that has our schedule in like forever. I, I know. Well, uh, you know, starting a starting a new exciting job and it finishing is new grad girl. school. It's, it is okay. new girl. Yes, April is new girl. Oh, and then oh, I'm excited for my birthday bonus. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and yours is gonna be fun too. That's not till We're July, gonna... but that's fine. We're going to have some good things. I, yeah, the new girl's going to be a fun one. Yeah. It's not the new girl. It's just new girl. But yeah, it's going to be a good Drop time. Drop the the. Just new girl. Drop the the. And we still don't. don't tr- we still haven't decided what we're doing for May. So. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to Pop DNA where everything's made up and the points don't matter. That's um, true. <laughs> Thank you, Drew Carey. <laughs> All right, friends. Or well, Aisha Tyler for... was the was who yeah. took over. Yeah. Yeah. We'll go with her. Okay. That's enough for now. Let's be done now, please. <laughs> Thanks, friends. Have a wonderful <laughs> night and a pleasant tomorrow. And we shall see you anon. We'll see you in the Matrix. Ooh. Or will we? Or will we? <laughs> Okay, bye. Spoon reference here. (laughs) Is that what you were doing? No, but then it's retrofitted. Anyway. Okay, bye.